Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. You know, they were completely kitted out, weren't they, with those zoot suits from, from Johnson's. Absolutely. So, talking about mod revival, we're not recording yet, are we? Yeah, we are. We're recording now, good. Well, can I apologise for my voice we're recording? I've, I've lost my voice. And, uh, but yeah, maybe I ought to have a Radio 2 show on Saturday morning today called Mark Ellen's Sunday Affair. That's the, like there's the attractively husky Mark Ellen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the faders, Fraser Lurie. Good hello. Full fruity tone. Hello. And special guest this week, Pete Silverton. Hello, Pete. Hello, David. Because that is a big deal. It's a, it's a big deal. <laughs> now, we've got to, for the first time on, on one of these podcasts, we've got to issue a health warning right at the outset. And I'm perfectly serious about this. If anybody is in any way going to be offended by the use of bad language, please turn off this podcast right now. Particularly, and I know there are people who listen to the podcast while driving their children to school (laughs) in the morning. And that's not because we're going to, you know, be gratuitously offensive, but it's because Pete is here to talk about a fantastic book, which he just published, called Filthy English, The How, Why, When and What of Everyday Swearing. Can I chip in a tremendous article, a summation indeed, in 900 words, of this book? <laughs> not a written. summation, just a taste, surely. I'm going to say summation. That's not a little rude. Um, of this article is in the new edition of The Word, which I think is out probably soon or now. Or yeah, and I, I, Mark read this first and was raving on about it, and I, I borrowed true. Mark's copy, and I've, I've been dipping into it for, while able over the last couple of days. I won't pretend I've read all of it. But it's fantastic, Pete. Thanks very much. Honestly, it's really, really good. <laughs> I mean, clearly, it's a very, it's a very attractive subject, no doubt about it. But I'm just, I'm enormously impressed by just the range of it and how readable it is. Actually, I got stuck into a bit so today well about when you were talking about you teaching at some further education college or something, teaching girls who wanted to be secretaries. Yeah. I got sidetracked into that absolutely fascinating little world of. Uh, of, of Caribbean versus African young women and, and the, the tensions that went on there. And so, you know, it's not just, it's not just a lexicographical account of swearing, is it? It goes no. a lot further than that. No, I mean, I think the, the point about it is that it's very much, I wanted to bring in the personal nature of it, because it, swearing is a very personal thing. It's, it's a way which it's, we express ourselves, it's the way we talk, and, and it's about our psychology. And I, think, I thought it was important that, that I was... Uh, I ref- it reflected my own psychology as well and my own history. So, you know, the, the story you talked about when I was teaching in South East London, where I was literally the world's worst teacher. I mean, if, if there was were... this? How long ago? Uh, this was in the early mid-70s. I, I, I don't name the actual college in there, and I'm not going to name it now to protect the guilty. Uh, but I was so bad, really, that they should even now come and demand their money back. <laughs> Everybody involved. And there were these poor teenage girls who had t- great ambitions, uh, I guess, to be uh, secretaries. Um, but they'd had a very bad education and they hadn't managed to learn to read or write 
to the standards that most people that I'd grown up with, at least, were familiar with. And so, like a lot of people under those circumstances, they took it out on each other. So I was faced with this class full of um, half Afro-Caribbean and half African. And I was naive at this point. I, although I'd been to university, I had very little experience of visceral that's, racism. That's the first qualification <laughs> for being very naive. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and um, these two groups of girls, both black, who, with my good anti-racist cap on, I thought should be fighting the good fight as a unit, used to call each other jungle bunnies. And they meant it. Oh, but this was the 1970s as well, wasn't yeah, it? This is, yeah, this is um, in Lewisham, in fact, just down the road from where the National Front march was a, few, a couple but of years later. They each looked down on each other. Absolutely. For very complicated uh, uh, reasons. Oh, the reasons are, are all to do with history and slave, uh, slavery. And uh, I, I, it took me years to, to understand it. It was only by talking very delicately uh, years later with grown-up, sensible black women that yeah. I learned what it was all about. Yeah, yeah. So, but I love know, the idea of this sort of well-educated, quite PC, you know, white teacher trying to cut <laughs> sisters. Hey, you know, we're one big melting pot, oh. you know, etc. So, oh, if that way. sounds like an exaggeration, <laughs> it's an understatement. <laughs> believe me. So, so the great learning about swearing is that, is that when you pull any thread, it leads to some extraordinary history or some subculture. Yeah, I mean, I, I always like that. I mean, that's always what I try and do in my writing, whatever I'm writing about. Is the, I thought it was a great phrase of yours, yeah. It, wherever you start. This, it's shaggy dog stories with an awful lot of shaggy. Yes. <laughs> in this case, an awful lot of shagging as well. Well, look, let's start, start at the beginning. It's called Filthy English. Now, is swearing a peculiarly English thing? No, it's absolutely... I mean, as far as we can tell, people have always sworn. There's very, very early evidence of it. Uh, What's the earliest Well, they, I think the earliest one I quote in the book is the example of Egyptian legal documents from classical antiquity where they used to sign them with uh, a picture which translated... A pictogram which translated... A hieroglyph which translated as May you be fucked by two donkeys. Right. <laughs> I, if you break this, this is the... Uh, and so that's lovingly inscribed on a, on a vase or something. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can buy in a shop. <laughs> No, legal documents. Legal, this this would be the equivalent oh, really? of the learned friends oh, getting crazy. together. Penalty. Oh, right. Yeah, that was, that was the bond. It was like, you know, uh, clasping hands and, and cutting blood in, right. in, uh, when we, like we did as uh, small, small boys in the playground to prove our truth. So it's, it's always gone on. Swearing. It's always gone on. Romans swore. There's a lot of examples of um, uh, graffiti on the walls in Pompeii. Uh, which has survived because of the uh, disaster there. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, I mean, it's there in the Bible, if only indirectly, that Leviticus and Moses spent a long time trying to stop people doing it. So if they're trying to stop people doing it... was clearly it, going on. It was clearly going on. Although well, the Bible doesn't actually mention what the words were. I've got to, I've got to go down one of these, these tangents while I remember sorry, it, because I know I'll forget it. One of the things I learned this morning... <laughs> while Moses, <laughs> One of the things I learned this morning while, while reading Pete's book on the train is, is the derivation of testes. Yeah. Go on, tell us about that. Well, testes means it's to do with bearing witness. So there's a link between testify and testicles because, one, historically it was only men who had the status to testify things. Uh, and they would hold their testicles as they swore. So it, it, the two links together... As a as token of their seriousness. Absolutely, yeah. And may By the get, bollocks. And may you get them cut off if you, yeah, if you renege on this yeah. thing. Yeah. I thought that was absolutely it amazing. It's fascinating. There's a lovely bit in, in, in the book when you talk about um, Shakespeare, because you know, everyone thinks so. Oh, Shakespeare's kind of a bit ribald and a bit, bit, a bit saucy, which indeed it is, you know. But it struck me, and you should explain some of the swearing of Shakespeare because it's really, really interesting. I think. But it struck me that that we have only just gone back, actually, as a nation, to the kind of people who were completely happy with that kind of language, you know, after we'd gone through the filter of the Victorian era where everything completely closed down. But I mean, Shakespearean plays were full of immense amounts of expletives, weren't they? Or well, quite subtle. As well. Absolutely, and and um, the. It's, a, it's been a long process since Shakespeare's time to come back to that, uh, year by year. But, I mean, I give some examples uh, in Shakespeare that, when I was taught it, just weren't, you weren't told about this. But now I know from teachers that they, this is, some of this, is, at least, is taught when you do A-level Shakespeare. So it, the title of Much Ado About Nothing, the, the word nothing in that is a pun. It, it, no thing. 
no penis. I would say. It's much ado about nothing, i.e. women, as represented by their vaginas. Yeah. So, yeah. No thing, and also the circle of a nothing is a symbol for the vagina. And that is, yeah. it's not just me making this up, but no, that no, is, no. eminent Shakespearean scholars agree on that, and you're taught it at A-level nowadays. And they used to call the theatre the wooden O, didn't they? Yes. Uh, so, are we saying that the, that the groundlings turning up on Bankside in, you know, in the early 17th century would have, would have got all these all these references. I think they would have done. Really? I, think, I really think they'd have got much more of it than, than we realise. We have to disentangle it. Just as when we... I mean, I can't think of a very good example off the top of my head. But there must, when we watch things, we catch allusions. When we listen to pop records, we will know that that's a quote from this and that's a quote from that because it's embodied in our culture. Uh, just as... I mean, I was th- watching Ch- uh, Othello the other day and they were talking about dreams. This is not about uh, dirty words. But... Uh, I now know that when they talk about dreams in Shakespeare, it has a totally different meaning to us. They think of the dreams as a different reality. And so that, that, it, that impinges on theirs, and, and it's a real worry for them. But they were a bawdy lot. I mean, there's, there's the classic one, which is the, the, um, the line in Hamlet, when um, Hamlet says to Ophelia, shall I lie in thine in thy lap? And... Uh, she says no, and he says, do you think I meant country matters? Now, last year, it was performed. <laughs> I saw it. By, I saw Jude Law in it, and um, Jude Law said it more or less the way I just said it. Yeah. But my friend... What, with a little inverted comma around it? Well, yeah. a very small inverted comma. But my friend uh, Rob, who's a very wonderful English teacher, took all his sixth form class to see David Tennant in it at Stratford, and uh, Tennant said, do you think I meant... Cunt. Rematters. Right. <laughs> he was delighted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, Which is, is different, different now, because, of course, countryside, in fact, means the assassination of Piers Morgan. Very. No, it's a Stephen Fry joke. Right? Oh, it's right. I'd yeah. steal it back. <laughs> it's, it's, Stephen Fry joke. it's very good. It's very good. But no, I love that. I, I think, you know, I agree with Dave that the people who turned up, you know, um, with a meat pie in one hand... <laughs> <laughs> would have got these jokes, I think, just as much as, and been just as amused by the, be the highly educated uh, upper middle class. Yeah, because it's in the other, well. it's in other places as well. It's in Marlowe, a Jew, Jew of Malta, when uh, he says, I can't, Barabbas, Barabbas, I think, says, uh, "Twas in another country, <laughs> and besides <laughs> the, 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 the wench is dead." dead. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realise that for years. I mean, I just but don't I have, have a filthy enough you mind. Love the idea of the great <laughs> bard sitting there chewing his goose quill. And Pissing himself laughing as he writes this stuff. Well, you know? you see, the great bard, didn't, <laughs> you know, as opposed to people writing scripts nowadays, didn't live in a huge great pile in the country. You know what I mean? No, he, he was, he was, you know, alongside St Paul's, right in the thick of it. You Absolutely, know what I mean? living the life of <laughs> very much the <laughs> thick of it as well. Which we'll we'll come to. Sure we must so, do, yeah. so swearing has gone on in every tongue, but surely English has more swearing than yeah. any other language. Is that true or not? It's very difficult to quantify, but I could certainly say that it's definitely one of the better ones. I mean, uh, Amer- <laughs> Americans... Have we got a chart? Have we got a chart of international profanity? <laughs> well, a European swear oh, contest. Who's number two? Yes. <laughs> Albania. Yes. Those fucking bastards, Albania. Well, yeah, <laughs> people who keep sheep. We might not be Go able on. to win the World Cup at football, but I think we did pretty well at, right. uh, at swearing. We're much better than uh, the Americans. Who's the contenders? Oh, don't you think we're better than the Americans? I think the Hungarians are pretty good. Oh, really? Yeah, very good on things about cursing, Hungarian swear words? cursing the mother. May, may, may oh... Was it? it it's, it's all to do with the, the mother's cunt and right. and, and uh, oh, that being nice. entered by Easter uh, because that's represent. It's all about a horrible, horrible mixture of religion and sexuality and, and your mother. Now <laughs> you, you keep coming back to this in your, in your book. You make a big deal of this in your book. This whole reference to one's mother, which is not big in England, is no, it? No, it isn't. And I think that's linked to what we're talking about with Shakespeare. I do think it's linked to ba- that it's basically a Protestant rather than a Catholic country. And and it's the the insult to the mother tends to be in Europe anyway more more ca- more Catholic. So son of a whore, that kind of absolutely variations on that kind of thing. Yeah, and then of course in America, which is anything but a Catholic country, they've done the same thing. Oh, uh, but that's that can also be the uh, the the South American influence. I see. Right, son of a bitch, very much comes up probably from New from New Orleans. There is a Catholic influence. Uh, bigger than we think, and also um, African culture. Right. 
Uh, oh, okay. Right, so it entered that way as well. I think, I'm fe- well, motherfucker is undoubtedly the great Afro-American swear word. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It's their great gift to the, to the linguistic world. Yeah, it's yeah. a gift that keeps on giving. It is. Yes. <laughs> we're going to talk about that later on. <laughs> <laughs> we've got a whole section on The Wire. and The, you know, oh, the, yeah. the Wire is just based on, on, on pretty much one <laughs> word. So, so that's one of the ways that swearing in English uh, uh, it differs from swearing in other languages. Mark so Allen goes into the corner in order to cough up a five-pound note. Now, it strikes me, and, and here I go back, I know, you know, I'm very old, you know, as are we all, apart from Fraser, who's a mere child. Um, but I can remember the time when swearing used to be something that went on undercover. It, when, I, when I was a teenager or whatever... You go into a, you know, they used to call it industrial language, didn't they? You know, so you go into your holiday job or whatever, as a nice grammar school boy or whatever, and suddenly be exposed to this, you know, mad undercurrent. But it was an undercurrent, wasn't it? And something changed, it strikes me, about 20 years ago, that it moved from being undercurrent to being above ground. Is that true? Yeah, I, I mean, I, it, it was so widespread that it wasn't so much an undercurrent as it was there, but just nobody talked about it. There's an example in the book that I give where the first time that the word fuck appeared on radio was very... It's a very bizarre story. It was not on the BBC, not on any of the other stations. It was on a German propaganda broadcast at the start of the war where they had two supposed English guys who were swearing. I mean, they, were, they obviously did get English actors. Uh, and, and it was incredibly successful. They managed to get English people to listen to the propaganda broadcast for the novelty of hearing workmen work, 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 say, I can't stand that fucking Churchill. Is <laughs> <laughs> that true? That's extraordinary. And it didn't strike... Did they do this deliberately, or did they do it because they didn't realise it was a no, they did word it. that you didn't use in polite society? No, they did it deliberately. They thought that I if see. they presented English working people talking as they did talk, then it would uh, attract um, the, the people who did talk like that. Right. And it did work. I mean, it didn't change the course of the war. No, no, so. no, 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 no. But that's so true, because I, I, had a, I remember I had a job when I was about 18 in a tractor factory in Fleet, where I worked, and it seemed to me that from a world where nobody appeared to swear, I was working in a world where everyone swore the whole time. Every sentence was constructed with the most number yeah, 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 yeah. of swear words. And, of course, as an 18-year-old, I found this incredibly thrilling. <laughs> I can remember one guy, a tra- um, guy driving a forklift, and the machine had broken down, and he managed to get the most number of uses of the word fuck into one sentence. Which was? <laughs> the fucking fuckers fucking fucked. As <laughs> he kicked the thought of malfunctioning forklift. I can remember going home uh, just glowing. Now, was there a bit of it when, when he said this that kind of knew he was being funny? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was doing for... He was slightly sending himself up. It's it had moved on a stage. But it wasn't was, anger, really, yeah. was it? But there was an obligation to swear. It, it, it is as if swearing belonged in certain places. Also, like football, uh, football crowds. You know, yeah, the, it belongs in certain places. With, with, it, 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 I really felt that. If you went to see a football game, everybody seemed to swear. But once you step, stepped out again, they seemed to stop. You know? I remember a poem I was taught at school that was uh, written by some, no doubt, university-educated officer who found himself on a, on a battleship in the Second World War. And I can't remember the whole poem, but it has a verse that goes, uh, F is the adjective before every object, the chief desires for both officer and men. <laughs> you know, and, and we were taught that when we were all 15 without anybody actually explaining what it was. You know, but he was, he was clearly struck by the same thing, yeah. that when you entered a completely alien uh, you know, working environment. That's that's the way people talked. So the the uh, the, the Nazi propaganda broadcast is a really good example. That's a good one. What are the other kind of key breakpoints that 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 made bad brought bad language eventually into the uh, mainstream? Well, the, the the first key one is Ken Tynan saying "fuck" on television, which is when um, 1950, 1960, I think. Right. Okay. So Ken Tynan, theatre critic. Future director of the National Theatre. Remind people what he said and why, what the context was. Can you remember? I'll have to look it up. I think they were just having a discussion about 
profanity and what was acceptable. And I think he, the actual word, the, the line he used was, what, for example, is, is wrong with the word fuck? Oh, you yeah, see, I, because yeah, you were saying there's no yeah, sex right. and words. Yeah, you see, that's yeah. really interesting, because in fact they're then talking about it as a, a kind of a linguistic thing, rather than using it as a piece of ammunition. Or, oh, yeah, yeah. A, you know, which is, the yeah. idea that that was astonishing is, is, oh, it is wasn't even more ridiculous. He can't yeah. suddenly turn around to go, Sheridan Bowling, yeah. yeah. fuck. Oh, fuck yourself, <laughs> Sheridan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's go to commercials. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they, you know that's that's one of the interesting things about swearing. Although we've got it on television nowadays, it's kept in very it's corralled in certain areas, isn't it? You know, it's not running free. You know, it's not in the middle of a cookery program, is it? No, well, well, well no, no, not no, a cookery no. program. <laughs> Alice, there, is, there is there is a cookery program, which is nothing but swearing. But it's not, uh, no cooking. Well, I believe F, FPM do they have in in the F word? How many fucks per minute was it? Oh, that's that's dead word. Fucks per hour. Fucks per hour. No, oh, which is that's the most record. Profane. Nine, nine, Ninety-two FPH. FPH. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, let's go back. So we got Ken Tynan says this on some yeah, late I mean, night I discussion program. It's a big story. Big story. There's no tape left of it, so okay. nobody knows. I mean, I, I interview the. Well, the one of the people that was there, which was Dennis Norton, of all people. <laughs> he was on the panel. Yes. Yeah. And, and uh, so he told me the story. Um, then, th- then 1971, Felix Dennis, oh, noted poet. Always had a way with words. Uh, <laughs> yes. Used the word cunt on the David Frost program. Really? Uh, referring, referring to David Frost? No, 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 no. It was referring to uh, Jerry Rubin, I think, the American yippie. Oh, really? Yeah, and I do know that, that he's mortified at this fact. Felix, that is. Um, was it live? Was this American television? No, this was live. It was of the, the, the yippies or the yuppies. Right, or, yeah, no, not the yuppies. The yeah, 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 a bunch yippies, of hippies, the, yippies, yeah, yeah, yeah. Inva- hippies invaded the Frost program in one of those very sort of oh, I see. L- uh, late sixties yeah, yeah, yeah. ways. Then the next one, he was more. He didn't mean to do it, actually, Felix. Did yes, he? In no. His, he, in his defence, I think he still feels bad about. Oh, he that. feels terrible about it. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, yes. Yeah. You'd think that. I, I mean, he was probably the editor of uh, of Oz at the time. Yeah, he'd nearly know. gone to jail. Well, he'd he had been, gone to jail for a been, bit. He had been in jail already. So you'd think that he'd done this as a deliberate piece of self-positioning. No, 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 no. He actually was very regretful about oh, it. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, go on. Up then, of course, the main event is. Um, Something that happened 33 years ago. That's right. Yesterday. Yeah. That's oh, right. Go December on. December the 1st, 1976, just after 6 o'clock in the evening. Do you know what that is, listeners? <laughs> yes, I'm sure you can guess. <laughs> right, over to Pete. Uh, it's, of course, the Sex Pistols' appearance on the Grundy Show, which I, I don't know if anybody... You can watch it, I'm sure, on YouTube these days, so you can see it. And what is interesting is the extent to which even they have to be goaded into swearing. Yes. By, yeah. by Grundy. Which uh, is why he was sacked, really, for encouraging them yeah. to do it and for making it worse. Yeah. Because uh, that's the great truth, isn't it? That it so rarely sort of slips out inadvertently. It, it also, it's right, wasn't there a case of this phrase not long ago with the... There was a post-match interview with somebody like Micah Richards when he's actually scored a goal in his, in his premiership debut. And he, he actually said, oh, I was fucking amazed. Yeah. And then he realised what he'd <laughs> said. natural reaction. Yeah. Complete, that was natural. Wasn't school to think, I'm, you know, I'm on telly, I shouldn't do this at all. Yeah. Whereas well, most of us are, you know, we're... we're we button ourselves up, don't Did we? Did you realise he'd said it? He'd said as soon as he said it, he apologised. Yeah, 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 it was a genuine yeah. error, you know, but yeah. it was so rare, it was really striking. Yeah. Anyway, go on. Because so the first time I, I, Steve Jones swears on that, it, it, the word just comes out, and you can see immediately that he's actually embarrassed that yeah. he's done it. Yeah. And Grundy g- goes... Well, the whole thing's goes a bit awkward, isn't it? It's, it's, it's very awkward. It's sort of a rotter, I think, doesn't it? Yes, which yeah. is really a new... Yes. <laughs> Yes. Well, I think he's Grundy. Also, has something like ninety seconds to fill, doesn't he? So he he, he realizes the conversation's over, uh, all relations have broken down. So all he can do is just lob tennis balls across their what? side of the net and see what happens. If I remember correctly, the, one of the reasons that Grundy was so upset, which he was, was that originally it was meant to be Queen That's on right. there, <laughs> and, that, and they pulled out, and record companies being run the way <coughs> they were in those Who days. Who else would be a girl? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I know. It's a blogger. It's it was a blogger yes. turned up with the Sex Pistols. I'm sorry, no, Freddie, but don't <laughs> worry, this lot are great. Could have got the pink floor. Could have got Courtney Rebel, a pilot. <laughs> a pilot, could have been. Yeah. The Jags, no, good. Yeah. But he, <laughs> could, he could, uh, Bill Grundy sort of thought that uh, it, it would rebound on the Sex Pistols, but it didn't really. It kind of well, double bounced, it, didn't it? I mean, it did rebound on the Sex Pistols. Uh, I mean, there was an enormous outcry. There was, there was that guy who 
kicked his TV set in in anger. And, and there were there were parades against them in Wales with evangelical <laughs> Christians. Yeah. Which they never visited. Yeah, so yeah. Say, no danger of <laughs> showing up in that Wales. I mean, I went on the anarchy tour with them, a bit of it. And then, you know, it, you, you just turn up and then these people shouting at you to go away. Because you were a public enemy. for having, Just because they'd said a few swear words. But I, I suppose it's like, it's like the Tynan case, isn't it? In a, in a way that hardly anybody saw it or heard it, but the Ferrari afterwards <laughs> is, is completely out of all proportion, isn't it? Like all those cases, like, yeah, like, like Saxgate. I mean, yeah. you know, two people complained or whatever it was, and eventually by the time it had been, you know, interpreted by the Daily Mail, it, it had been twisted out of all context, you know. And um, While that is true, I would say actually probably of all of these ones that, that most, the Sex Pistols event was seen by more people than the rest, because although it was only London in the South East... It was, it was early in the day, It was early it? in the evening, it was at tea time in yeah, a day where there was yeah. only a couple of channels and everybody yeah. used to sit down and eat their tea together. Yeah. So, hence the guy kicking the TV in. The Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. So you talk about in the book, uh, you were working on sounds at that time. Absolutely. Um, and you were always, you know, you were, you were out there interviewing, you know, Sex Pistols and The Clash and God knows who. And, and you always wanted to reflect the kind of full, uh, fruity range of their language in the pages of, of the paper. But that was frowned on, wasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think even our model was uh, Rolling Stone magazine, as it was for everyone else probably at the time, which is that they used, uh, the, they used the word fuck quite a lot, uh, and they, they would obviously use motherfucker. Where, where relevant, and it just seemed important at the time. I mean, one reflecting their language because uh, it is how people talked, and and it's certainly how a lot of uh, punk stars talked. Not all of whom were actually uh, sons of the t- of the earth. No, absolutely, well, no, but... certainly not. So, Mark, well, I mean, what do you think of that? Because it's quite interesting, isn't it? That this business of uh, of putting fucks and so forth well, in no, in text. It's you know, it is. What's I've, the effect it has on the reader? Yeah, because I, I suppose I've been doing this for thirty years or whatever. So I've watched this go by, and I can remember a, a, a very, um, a, a very memorable event with a, a new publisher that we had when I was the editor of Q magazine, a girl called Fiona Smith. Do you remember Fiona Smith? And oh, she yeah. came and she was only the publisher for about a month. Actually, in fact, my only conversation was with her was that um, we'd used the. Um, the, uh, the word cunt um, in an interview with Roger Waters and anyone who's met Roger Waters will know that Roger Waters bandages this particular phrase about with <laughs> great abandon usually uh, referring to the lead guitarist <laughs> as Pink Floyd <laughs> allegedly <laughs> and then you get a call from my learned friends afterwards you know and um, but anyway so and she said um, I think there's too much swearing and you know people find it very offensive and uh, after that I remember Danny Kelly I think was there Shortly after that was the editor, and Danny, in meetings, was used to refer to uh, the word cunt as the cunt W, <laughs> and the word fuck as the fuck W. Very pointed, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> and, but what's and, uh, the effect it but, has written down? Doesn't it make effect, everybody seem more aggressive than they actually it, it are? It makes, I, I think there's, yeah, it's a really good question. They, 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 they look more aggressive, and I think that I actually edit swearing, still now, even in word magazine, quite a lot, because I think all you need is one or two fucks to give the impression that this is the kind of person who says fuck says a lot, it. rather than having to, you know, dutifully reproduce every single swear word, you know. And also, swearing has been devalued to the point now where rock stars, and I've noticed this most at awards shows, I'm sure you've seen the same sort of thing, that rock stars feel an obligation to swear. Now, if you go to an award show that's involved with film or the book world, clearly nobody swears. But in... in in, in, in rock music, um, even the most literary, highly um, uh, educated people feel that, the, 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 you know, the, the, the members of Pink Floyd, the Peter Gables, still feel they've got to call each other a bunch of cunts because they're at a, a rock event. But it's not just that. Why do they do it, Mark? Seriously. Why do they do it? They do it to get a laugh. They do. Well, also, they, they, the they, they do to get a laugh. And also they do it to kind of, it's a very easy shorthand to say, I'm kind of down with you. It's exactly the point Pete was making, which is, hey, I speak your language. I'm rock and roll. But actually that is a universal language now. So I don't think it really has, I guess on the tube every morning and if I haven't heard somebody say fuck by Ravenscourt Park I'm absolutely astonished <laughs> that's using an old lady <laughs> turn that fucking iPod down you stupid schoolgirls. You know? the thing, <laughs> the thing I noticed when <coughs> I, the enemy and the Melody Baker uh, of blessed memory used to be published by the same company IPC but I think I'm right in saying oh, yes, that the enemy the enemy would would, would publish the word <clears throat> fuck 
the melody maker would do F to asterisk yeah. K. Yeah. And, uh, and I think they actually had the same publisher. Yeah, so I don't think it was anything. They may have decided that we'll keep one of these papers for people who don't wish to read that kind of thing. It's absolutely true. And I, I, think, I think people in Kingsreach Tower who work for New Music Express would probably call uh, Melody Maker um, drones, you know, big girls' blouses, because they weren't allowed to swear. So yes, didn't they actually they were, use, to, didn't they use to... Didn't they used to publish the name of Melody Maker with two asterisks in the... That's <laughs> <laughs> right, they, 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 they did! They did! You're right! It, even, it was a swear word in itself. Just to, just to make that joke. Yeah. But the thing I noticed <laughs> when, so when it started to appear, you know, in the 80s, in magazines like Q and Select and Vox and so forth, sub-editors cannot resist taking a fairly anodyne sentence that happens to have the word fucking in it and turn it into a pull quote. (laughs) So, you know, it goes, where's the fucking van, said... Elvis. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's the best fucking record we've Elvis, ever made, says Dave Grohl. is the Grohl. person who stands on the pavement, <laughs> steam coming out of his ears, firing employees and, you know, venting his wrath and it's all. He just stood there and said, where's the fucking man? You know I mean? But as soon as you put that word in there, it, it just draws disproportionate attention to it. Well, having it? spent most of that time working on Fleet Street, I know if the subs did that on the, on the mail when I worked there, they would very quickly not be subs. No, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. The mail, the mail, which is well known for two things, the primness of his published language and the profanity <laughs> of its staff. I was told recently that, uh, that uh, you're nobody at the Daily Mail unless you've been so-called triple-seed by the editor. Is well, that right? Absolutely. <laughs> and and uh, he, he likes the word, so, the, the word cunt so much that um, the, uh, his morning conferences are known as the vagina monologues. <laughs> <laughs> so there you are. There you are. No, it, it, it is interesting how they, you know, I, I do think it's, it's, it's particularly in the, in the question of speeches, like you say, awards uh, uh, deals oh, and so forth, totally, and, you com- watch, and comedy. Comedy, but if you watch, I mean, I, I don't think it's become a substitute for a, a kind of punchline in rock and roll. It's just an obligation. You know, if you watch, um, you know, if I think it's up already, the MTV Awards or VH1 or whatever, it's just a question of who's going to swear first, because they, they, are, they have to swear, because that's what the audience is expecting. It's just a question of how they're going to swear and how soon. But if in other contexts, it's like the Foo Fighters played a couple of concerts, I think, uh, the year before last at um, Wembley Stadium. They played two nights in a row. It's an 80,000 seat venue. They'd sold 160,000 tickets. And Dave Grohl's comment both nights was, you know, how did this fucking happen? You know, that kind of thing. You know, the biggest fucking band in the world. But you can't, because it's about volume and about the size and scale of what you're saying. So you can't get up in front of 80,000 people and say, how did this happen? The Foo Fighters <laughs> filled, you know, t- two nights at Wembley Stadium. Somehow it doesn't work without a yeah, fucking... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's also, also it's a metrical thing, I think. I mean, I, I personally don't use swear words as an aggression. I use them just as a way of punctuating, putting meter into the way I speak, you know. And, 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 and the, the best example, in fact, Stephen Fry told this gag again. It's such a good gag, I think, on the Graham Norton show two nights ago, which is that lovely one about, um, you know, um, Live 8 and the supposed story about these people watching Live 8 on a Diamond Vision screen in a huge park in Edinburgh. And Bono's doing that thing and clicking his fingers. He says, every time I click my fingers, a child in Africa dies, you know. And so he says, well, stop fucking doing it. <laughs> the point is, if they just shouted out, stop doing it then, it wouldn't weirdly be funny. It's got to have, stop fucking doing it. It's got to have a fucking is it, is it Why be- is that? I don't know. Is it because <laughs> it comes from a kind of really prosaic context and you're moving it into a, into a kind of into a totally different context. You know, it's the, the use of the word fuck. It, be, it just points brings, up everything else. It brings been- everything down to some... Yeah. To some base level, doesn't it? Know, doesn't matter how high flown it is. I think there's a lot. I think there's a lot going on in what you, you uh, what Mark just said. I mean, there is the rhythmic nature of it, which is really, it's a universal. Uh, another thing as well as swearing, the use of rhythm in speech and uh, is, is is universal. So, the one I think of is, is Ian Jury, arseholes, bastards, fucking cunts, and bricks. Yeah, which is all the bricks. Almost, but not quite, and I am big pentameter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, but it, it gets its rhythm from that. And Completely. He, fucking. Not, yeah. not Football chants, too, have been entirely Ab- rhythmical. Absolutely, and it, and it is creative. And it You're is going home in a fucking ambulance. <laughs> <Yeah>, absolutely. <laughs> that is so pretty. It's an adult version of nursery rhymes, almost. It's a repetitive and it's enjoyable to rhyme in the same way, you know, and to, and to get the rhythm going. Rather. Like did you look into football chants at all? A little did bit, you, yeah. Did you look into, uh, that's interesting. You know, did people swear in football chants in the 1940s? They uh, probably didn't. No, no. The swearing so loud at football matches is relatively new. Yeah. I mean, I mean, since the seventies. I mean, I, I, I should think since 
grown-up men in cloth caps stopped going and, and, and uh, le- le- left it to kids in Lacoste shirts. Since then, you know, it, it's a te- it became a teenage thing for a long time and they all swore the way that we all did to show that we were more grown-up than we were. Now, swearing in rock, I've got a theory. <laughs> I can't believe we're doing this. It's really a podcast about swearing in rock. Oh, very interesting. Swearing in rock, I don't think it works. Swearing in hip-hop works, I think. Am I right or am I wrong? I'll throw that out there. Successful uses so of are swearing you, right, in well, no, rock. No, no, what are you talking about? Are you talking about uh, lyrical swearing? Are you talking about swearing on stage and in interviews? No, I'm talking about inner song, I suppose. All right, I'm talking about inner song. You know, Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen, God knows who, have managed to get through their whole career, and I don't think they've ever swore well, in a song. Well, it depends who it is who swears. I mean, and Al Stewart swore once in a song, which I remember seeing when I was 14 at a rock festival, the least effective use of swearing I've ever heard. Which what was is, it called? Ben it was, was, it was called, called, it was at the end of an incredibly long song called Love Chronicles. Love Chronicles, sorry. Which recounted in wearying detail God, every awful. single one of Al's teenage and young 20s uh, affairs, a verse each... And we used to think it was terribly impressive. What, because he said there's so near, many girls? You know, we've got to have Al Stewart well, to sleep start, with so many girls. Yeah, really right One's own song would have been so <laughs> short. <laughs> it would have been barely a verse long. Whereas <laughs> he got to the penultimate All verse. All over so soon. Yeah, sorry. And I can't remember the first two bits of the verse, but the last two were, it grew to be less like fucking and more, more like, like making love. love. Yeah. And we used to go, that's <laughs> really cool, Al. Oh, did you say <laughs> I'm really impressed that you... I'm impressed that you admitted that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I, know. I, know, oh, I, I could no, never admit on. such no, a no, thing. No. But I, you know, I, 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 there's something about the sound of a kind of generally white rock voice saying fucking, singing fucking in a song. It sort of doesn't work for me. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with you, actually. I mean, I think that also, I mean, just to go back to Ian Dury, I mean, he set such a benchmark at the use of swearing in, 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 that nobody else in the rock world has ever come close to it. I mean, not just the, the, the uh, arseholes line that I quoted, which are, incidentally was the original title of the book. It was going to be called Arseholes, Bastards, Fucking Cunts of Bricks. Right. Your book was going to be called My book was going to be called oh, yeah. that self-published version. Available no, no, only no, the public, from where? No, the <laughs> yeah. publisher was happy. I mean, it was all going ahead, and then we re- realised we couldn't get it through firewalls into other companies, so we had to drop it. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not surprised. Would Amazon <laughs> have stopped it? <laughs> they, it would have been more asterisk. Right. Title. But, so Ian Dury, did Ian Dury do it? Did he use fuck quite a few times? Yeah, there's, I, oh, there's like, fucking Ada. Oh, right. So he's oh, actually called fuck it. Yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. But I can't think but of But his songs also full of things that aren't swear words. They're just very, very aggressive it's language. It's theatre, isn't it? Well, between between a rubber and I, Brian Beena. Yes. You know, and you've never heard that expression before, but you know exactly what Just Villa Ricky Dicky, that's right. Yeah. But, but but he was he was very often putting those words in the in the uh, in the mouths of his of his characters, wasn't he? Rather than it necessarily coming from him. Whereas there's something about the the standard singer songwriter that you can't let that come out of your mouth, can you? Well, he did it because I think he was trying to remind a load, a load of middle class listeners and rock critics that, that that he was representing some working class musical tradition. I think so. He was just he was just constantly. You know, badgering them and actually intimidating them actually right. with, with his working classness. It, although interesting pop fact discussed on he wasn't. Po- no. podcast <laughs> passing, he wasn't very mo- working class. So, that, moving so on. that's rock, okay. <laughs> yeah. But on the other hand, a hip hop record. If you ever, if you ever buy or get sent a hip hop record that's been edited for to be played on Radio One, it's completely unlistenable because the rhythm is taken out of it by the removal of. The word motherfucker very often. Uh, yeah. All the way through. It simply doesn't work without that profanity at all, does no, it? It's no, it's taking one leg off the stool, you know. I mean, there's this great line from uh, Dr. Dre, which is, nigger, 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 fuck this, fuck that, bitch, 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 suck my dick. And so you where would... do you cut? <laughs> <laughs> my, it's so think. sweet talking, Dr. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Oh, all right, then. <laughs> Put like that. Or, yeah. um, you know, the, which one is it? I... Uh, I like to fuck by Young Hot Rod. I don't know if you've heard that. Uh, has the charming What's line from T. T- <laughs> <laughs> Fraser's got so much to learn. Try <laughs> <laughs> T- and keep up, Fraser. Sorry. Actually, there, there is. Funny enough, now I think about it, the exception for swearing in in, in rock is women. 
the, the records by women in which they swear are actually much more convincing than the men ones. Example? Example, uh, Liz Fair's Ex- Exile to oh, Guy yes. Bill's right. album. Oh, that's an amazing record. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to fuck you till your dick is blue. Right. Which is the most wonderfully erotic threat I think I've ever heard. The voice is strange. Amy There's Winehouse does it. Yeah. Fuck me pumps. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, There's an American singer-songwriter called uh, Jenny Owens uh, and has a great song called What the Fuck Was I Thinking? Right. Um, But don't you think that in the Liz Fair's case, because Liz Fair, that record, all people will ever say about it is it's Liz Fair swearing. It has completely obliterated any musical merit it might or might not have. It's because the novelty of this girl particularly a white singer-songwriter, you know, from an educated background, <laughs> saying fuck all the time uh, in such a graphic way is, is, is so unusual that it's completely distorted the view. Actually, it was a really good record, but nobody ever thinks about that. Did you think of her as swearing girl? Yeah, I think that's changed now. I think that's absolutely true when it first came out and for the first 15 years of its life. But I, th- <laughs> <laughs> I think it now, when you hear it, if you listen to it again now, because it, it was reissued, I think, last year. It was. Yeah, if you listen to that, and it, you, with, you listen to it with modern ears, it actually sounds like this very, very interesting story of a, of a young woman's adventures. Another example, Martha Wainwright's motherfucking asshole yeah, about yeah, her yeah, father. Because yeah. you know. that's all right, because it's about her dad. <laughs> yeah. So he won't yeah. get cross. <laughs> well, he did, <laughs> he did write what Jesus was a tit man about yeah, his son. Rufus was a tit man. Rufus, Rufus and Jesus, <laughs> that would be terrific. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that really would be Let's that on Radio <laughs> 1. But anyway... <laughs> Does it bring in the other subject, which is worth, worth considering very briefly, actually, is are girls as good at swearing as men? No. Because, I, I, you know, my wife doesn't listen to the podcast, and so I can say this about her, but her great swear word, as I've told you before, which is, which is she has to be incredibly, um, um, you know, motivated to come up with this. She just goes, oh, oh, buggery bollocks. <laughs> Which I, I take her aside and say that doesn't work. You know, that's just that's no good. But that's kind it's of bad swearing. It's, it's funny because it doesn't work. <laughs> it's, it's just her desperately scrabbling for words that she's just not used yeah, to yeah. using. And do you ever hear your parents swear? Uh, very rarely. No. Don't it's think I ever heard. Don't think I have actually. What about you? My, uh, yeah, my mother used to swear a lot uh, when she had uh, when, <laughs> when she was on the docks, and then would, would calm down and forget that she'd sworn. And if I ever swore, she was. Where did you get that from? Got it from you. I got it from you. Yeah. It's about you. you. My father used the word bugger a lot, um, but that wasn't an offensive oh, yeah, word. Yeah, yeah, okay. he, oh, my father he, said that. It wasn't a rude word though. In the, yeah, in but the it, 1960s. It's somehow this idea that anal intercourse is not as offensive as, as no, as no, no. Bugger was an affectionate word in the sixties. It didn't sum up that picture actually in the nineteen sixties when somebody said a bugger they didn't. They didn't. There was no thought of sodomy. Anyway, I'm very worried about looking back. Do you ever swear? Do you ever swear to your children? With your children? I've only sworn my children once uh, under extreme duress, actually. Oh, God, yeah. What did you say? Oh, something like, will you fucking do what you're told? Oh, do really? Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm, yeah. Wow. Yeah, but, uh, you know, they were in the late 30s then. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I, did, I was very, very cross, but... Uh, no, they, uh, to be fair, well, one of them was 19, so, you know. Well, Pete had a very sweet thing in his book, which I thought was so hilarious, because I've had a very similar thing where he's talking about a Father's Day guy sitting right in his room. He looks around the room and all the things that are just full of... of, of, of of expletives, really. One of which is a Father's Day card from his own son, which says, Happy fucking Father's Day. <laughs> you see, if he'd said Happy Father's Day, it wouldn't be funny. <laughs> <laughs> it is. you got to be honest. It's very, very funny. I do actually also have a picture of, of this son wearing a cap uh, with the word fuck on it in Art Deco lettering, which I took in New York outside uh, the building on Fifth Avenue where the very first record with the word fuck was recorded. Good really? parenting. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Well brought up. Parenting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well educated. Father of the year <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Father of the year. We can't the Daily Mail are listening to this. We can't, talk, we can't talk about swearing without touching upon The Wire, which is a TV programme which has... I, I know you say Deadwood has greater density of... Of uh, fucks per hour or whatever, but um, you know the wire is it, it's poetry and originality. Yes, <laughs> it's, you know, and, and in prepara- preparation for this uh, today, I just happened to look out on YouTube this morning to remind myself of of the time when when uh, what's her name goes into the the store to buy the the nail gun. Snoop, Snoop goes to buy the nail gun, and you know it's just everything is referred to as a motherfucker. This motherfucker, this you know, objects, people, situations times, everything. And it ought to get really wearing, but it doesn't actually. There's something about it that makes it work. What do you think? I, I, I think uh, she's, a, she's a very good actress. 
although untrained. And it has that lovely rhythmic quality. It doesn't it? And it, it's like some jokes where you can just repeat the punchline and again and again, and they get funnier rather than less funnier. funny. She's, there's a great wit to it, and there's a knowing wit to it. I mean, it, it, everybody to do with The Wire knew that that was going to be seen as funny. Uh, and witty, but real. And she's winding the guy up in the shop as well. She knows what she's doing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's like that other scene in it in earlier in the ser- earlier in the first series where uh, McNulty and uh, his bunk, son, bunk. bunk, yeah, uh, do a, a forensic crime scene. And you know, it's a bit arch and actory, you know, and writerly, where they virtually discuss everything with just three words: it's fuck. The whole scene, they just inspect the scene. But you can tell what they're thinking. You can follow the language. But my theory is that it works perfectly because in The Wire, it's used to say everything in our world is fucked. Everything. Everything we're trying to do is hopeless. Yes. Have you you been to Baltimore? Well, I I (laughs) can well imagine. (laughs) I mean, really, you look at that. I heard a Randy Newman song about it. I've got a pretty strong idea of this. I can well imagine, but I think it works (laughs) perfectly. It's a metaphor for absolutely everything. Around them, you know, their world is just fucked. Yeah, and that, hence the word clusterfuck. <laughs> yeah, 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 which you... Genuinely funny words. <laughs> Somebody I know um, uh, who was offered a job, a senior job uh, at the Olympics, who's English, is a Geordie, uh, turned it down on the grounds that it'd just be a clusterfuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. So, <laughs> there's no comeback from that, is there? So, th- that's enough swearing for one week. Um, b- before we finish, I asked everybody to prepare... An example of uh, an obscenity that is particularly close to their heart. Fraser. I have, I have a story. Uh, years ago, I used to work at XFM and uh, booking bands and that kind of stuff, and I organised for Nick Cave to come in. And I remember the station control being a bit wary because Nick had a reputation, and indeed he turned up worse for wear. And so I took the PR girl aside and said, look, this is very important to us. We're trying to get a full-time broadcasting licence. We can't afford any bad language. Is he going to behave? And she went away and she talked to Nick Cave. She came back and she said, yes, he's promised to behave. No problem at all. So he goes into the studio and the, the sits down and the DJ says, Nick, welcome to XFM. How are you? And Nick goes, I'm as drunk as a fucking cunt. <laughs> <laughs> Never warn a rock star that there's no. something they can't do. Big mistake. Because you'll draw, draw their attention you're to the one thing they ought a to fuse. Yeah. You really are doing. I know, I know. What about you, Mark? God, you know, I don't know if I've really got one, actually. I, I like the... Um, my the bit that I love is the Trogs tapes still. Yes, um, which I've forgotten about. Which I, have I'm, you I'm, really, is that? I don't think it's really. You're right. Because I mean, that was it, a major thing. Because that yeah. was a major thing in swearing when it came out, which I think was in about '88. Well, like no, that. no. It first of all, uh, came it was surfaced oh, it was in the '70s. Well, it was done. It, it was from a recording session in the late '60s when they were trying. Their hits had kind of dried up, and they were they were trying to get back on the money. And, and they were trying to produce themselves. I've scribbled down a tiny bit of it, which I've just Googled before we came in here. And I don't know how funny it'll be just to read it out, because especially as I haven't got the West Country accent. But anyway. Oh, give it a try. Okay, I'll give it a try. All right. <laughs> do George, do George Reg, Harrison. Reg, colon. Don't do as George Harrison's any accent I can do. Or Peel. Reg, colon. Don't just say, don't just keep saying, oh, yeah, well, it ain't right. I know it ain't fucking right. I can fucking hear it ain't right, you cunt. <laughs> <laughs> Ronnie, colon, well, fuck me. Isn't that funny? <laughs> well, that's funny in itself. Well, fuck me. There's no comeback from Ronnie. He's just sitting there scratching his head. Reg, we can hear it. it's not fucking right, too. Ron, I fucking can, and I'm the cunt that's playing it. <laughs> that, that was a bit that used to make me actually cry with laughter. I don't know if anyone listening hasn't heard this, but the context was they're trying to resuscitate their career, aren't they? And he says, there's a lovely bit where he says, I oh, think that's a gold way to number one. He said, if you sprinkle a bit of fucking fairy dust on it. I love this idea that somehow they can imagine you get a big bag of fairy it's, dust. It's the most perfect example steaming of demystifying the recording per- yeah. process you've ever heard. And I do, I do heartily recommend it to anybody uh, who, who hasn't heard it. My really? favourite, my favourite, oh, which I like Pete last actually. Uh, my favourite is, is from cricket, actually, and it's, it's the classic uh, case of sledging, uh, w- which is often you know, connected with various different people, and nobody's quite sure who it was. But anyway, it goes like this. Corpulent batsman makes his way to wicket, yep. takes guard. As he's taking guard, Australian wicketkeeper says, why are you so fucking fat? And the guy, without turning around, goes, because every time I fuck your wife, she gives me a biscuit. That's right. <laughs> Which, 
It's a masterpiece yeah. because yeah. it's the combination of the word fuck and the word biscuit. Yeah, biscuit's a great word. <laughs> it's well. because it finishes with biscuit. biscuit. It's completely... Yeah, it's the, a... it's the introduction of the word fuck into a yeah. sentence that terminates with the word biscuit. Yeah. It's just sort of perfect, isn't it's it? It's absolutely superb. Pete, what about you? This is a word that's uh, not in the book because it, it came to me uh, recently. A friend of mine uh, had to go to court... Uh, I wasn't able to find out from him whether it was a criminal or a civil charge he was up on. Uh, but he was sitting there waiting for it to come up. And um, the person sitting next to him said, uh, so who's the judge? And my friend who knew who the judge was said, Roberts, I think it was. And this person next to him used a word I'd never heard. He said, Roberts, cunt scum. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh. Robert, answer that back. Oh. Yes. I love all the things. Allegedly, in, I love all the things in uh, in in the thick of it, where which aren't really swear words, but but the uh, Capaldi character invents just <laughs> expressions for. There's a bit where he's, and they're so rude that they're much ruder than swearing. There's a kind of slightly plain, rather kind of um, country girl in the office at one point uh, with a sort of hair punched up in a ponytail. He says, you, horse of the year, get me some <laughs> fucking tea. And then he turns to the little dolphin studio. He goes, you, fetus head, you can fuck yourself for a start. So he's called fetus head, just meaning you're, you look really young. Oh, <laughs> well, Pete, you'll be able to revisit this in ten years' time. I'm sure that, you know, the, the, the English language will continue to throw up uh, profanity. But Pete's book, which I can't recommend too highly, this is a fantastic it's really this book. Good book. We've said it's a book about swearing. About. It is, it's, it's a, a bumping book about, uh, about, really, about a, a kind of social history book. That, yeah. Look, I'm going to have to use the word prison now. That, that looks through <laughs> the prism <laughs> of expletives to make its point. I've used it. I mean, I've said prism. I can't, we can't cut that out. That's terrible. It's a marvellous yeah. book, and everyone ought to read it. It's got and filthy it doesn't English. use the word prism at all. It's called Filthy just, English by Peter Silverton, and it's published now by Portobello. And we'll put a link to that on the site. And Pete's re- written a piece of Matt's Wearing... Uh, which is in the current issue, plugging his book, a word which is out now. Out now. Hurry while stocks last. Thank God that's fucking over. (laughs) (laughs) This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.